Welcome to Signs from the Other Side with Fern Rone. I'm your host, Fern Rone, and this is the place to share stories of signs and messages received from the other side. Before we get to the show today, just a quick and friendly reminder that if you would like to hear more episodes of Signs from the Other Side, please be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, maybe also tell a friend. Thank you so much for listening and on to the show. Almost three years ago, Susan Cross died. At the time, she was a successful public relations professional married to the love of her life with two grown children. She was on a vacation with her husband on the remote Caribbean island of Dominica when her appendix ruptured and she received life-saving surgery. This event and long recovery changed Susan's life in the most profound way. She didn't die all the way. In fact, she lived to write the book, The Power of Disruption, A Memoir of Discovery. Hi, Susan. Hi, Fern. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be chatting with you. So three years ago at this time, this you were living your life, a PR professional, married, two kids, never predicted that this could happen. And and three years, only three years later, you have a book out. It you must write very quickly because I I didn't almost die, and it took me three years to write my second book. So it, to get my second book out into the world, so I am so impressed, and I can't wait to hear more about your story. But do you ever think like, wow, that was not that long ago? I do. In fact, every year on the day that I almost died, I have renamed that life day. And so I definitely celebrate it every year, January 30th, every year. It seems like a short period of time, but it also seems like it was a long time ago because it left such a profound impact on me. And I have looked at the world differently since. It's amazing when something like that happens. It's, it feels like such a part of your history that it almost feels like it should be, have been a long time ago. It does. And that's a really good way to say that. And I have to be honest with you, dramatic things like that typically did not happen to me in my life. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't as if I was predicting that this would take place or waiting for the next thing to happen. Mm -hmm. It came out of the blue for me and left a lasting impression. I am forever changed. And I call this sometimes my show-stopping moment, Mm -hmm. that point in time where everything just stopped ceasing in the way that I knew it and started living in a different way. And I love it. So that day, life day, do you remember it, where you were, what you were doing? I remember every vivid detail about Mm -hmm. it. And when I, even now, when I go back and read parts of my book or this conversation, when I tell the story, I feel like I'm right back in, in that moment experiencing it exactly the way that I did, except that I don't have all the pain that I had at that time. Right. So where were you and what were you doing? Well, as you said, my husband, John, and I were on vacation. We had spent a little over a week on the beautiful island of uh, Dominica. It was fantastic. It's not highly commercialized. We did a lot of hiking, snorkeling, just enjoying a really great time. And Two days before we were supposed to head back to the United States, I got sick. And looking back on it, I was tired for most of the vacation, but I thought that was due to coming off of a very hectic and crazy work schedule Mm -hmm. and thought, oh, I'm just kind of winding down and, and that's taking an effect on me. But 
now that I look at it and after talking with the doctor and everything, I believe that I was headed down the sickness path earlier than I realized. Two days before we were scheduled to come back, I was so sick, actually, that we had to go to a clinic, local clinic. I couldn't get out of bed. I was, I had a fever. I had convulsions, which I'd never had before. Yes. And so I'd never had convulsions before. And my teeth were chattering so hard that I thought they were going to just burst right out of my mouth. And I was trying to talk to my husband who was checking on me while I was sleeping or trying to sleep and recover, right? Since I just wanted to get healthy enough to get on the plane to come back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I started talking to him and my voice sounded yeah. like this because my teeth were chattering so hard. And wow. when he made it this, yeah, it was, it was, he was actually in that moment more scared than I was. Because, yeah, I would have been terrified. And yeah, I mean, he's looking at me. We don't know what's going on. The host of the property where we were staying said that the clinic down the road, about a mile down the road, was open that day and suggested that we go to the clinic for help. And so we did. I could barely stand up. My my abdomen and my back were just so painful. It was as if somebody took my insides and were twisting them and twisting and twisting and twisting and not letting go. And we got into the clinic and the first thing that I saw when we got into the procedure room was a lizard on one of the chairs. Oh my goodness. Oh no. And I thought, I'm thinking, okay, this is not going to be your, your typical American medical experience. And you know, that's okay, right? At Mm -hmm. this point, I just wanted somebody to help me feel better. And they were not able to, they stabilized me briefly, but they weren't able to diagnose what was taking place. So Mm -hmm. they gave me an IV and stabilized me briefly. And then I had convulsions again. And I don't know, I don't want to be so graphic that it puts off your listeners, but suffice it to say that it was like, a horror movie because the IV came out and I was literally shaking and they said, you know what, you need to go to the hospital. And so they Mm -hmm. uh, put me in an ambulance, which was basically a a van with Mm -hmm. a light on it Mm -hmm. um, and a very nice driver and took me an hour across the island on a very windy, treacherous mountain road. And your husband was in the van with you? He was not. They sent a nurse with me. They had some amazing nurses in the clinic, and they were able to get a blood sample so that they didn't have to waste time getting that at the hospital. The nurse rode in the ambulance with me, and there was there was no equipment in the ambulance other than the oxygen. Hmm. And she just sat there watching me to make sure that I was uh, okay. My oh. husband followed in our car, and they were nice enough to put me. I'm very tall, and so they put me in head first so my feet were facing the back of the van and I could look out the window the whole ride and see my husband's face driving and that was a real comfort to me was it was that was helpful and and I got to the hospital and they diagnosed appendicitis wow are those the symptoms of appendicitis because I always thought it was just the pain in that particular part of your abdomen well 
what I learned after the fact was that appendicitis has a lot of different symptoms. I'm mm-hmm. not a medical professional, but mm-hmm. I've learned that it can be pain in the back and that the pain oh. isn't always localized to the lower right side, which is what most of us think. Oh. Because mine was across my whole abdomen and my lower back. And again, I'm not a medical expert, but what I've learned is that it can manifest that way. And in my case, it definitely did. And they looked at the blood work, but they also did an ultrasound. And it was wonderful because two uh, Cuban doctors actually did the ultrasound and they're speaking Spanish to each other. And then I said, I almost came off the table while they were doing the ultrasound because it They were being very gentle, but I was just in so much pain. And I kind of gasped out, and and one of the doctors said, ah, Americano, because they didn't realize at that point that I was American. And he looked at me, and he said, I'm so glad we're allowed to like each other now. (laughs) And, and, you know, and and even laying there, I I was just grateful that he could add a little bit of humor. And then his colleagues... (laughs) You know, it was wonderful. And, and then that's like when Reagan me, got shot and he was in the hospital and they assured him we're all Republicans today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's right. And I think he said, didn't he say to his wife, honey, I forgot to duck or something like that. And it was just those little <laughs> moments of humor in the midst of Aww. chaos like that are, Aww. are so important. And yeah. it, it just, it, it just made me feel more human and less yeah. of a specimen. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, uh, and they diagnosed, so, so his colleague diagnosed appendicitis, and she at that point did not say that there was anything more than appendicitis. And they prepped me for surgery, and they prepped me in the women's ward. So I became bed number three in a 26-bed women's ward, which was open air, no air conditioning. Oh, this wow. is the Caribbean and no air conditioning. And the the beds were very close together. If my neighbors and I would have reached out our arms, we could have touched, we could have held hands. Hmm. And they prepped me there and then wheeled me into the operating room, which was in another building. And then my husband had to wait outside the operating room building or the operating building on a lanai on a bench and he was the only one out there this was around 11 o'clock at night it was very late and the next thing I knew they were putting me under and then I didn't I went blank until the next day when I woke up and they told me that I had almost died and because what actually happened was that my appendix had ruptured my entire body was septic and I was literally within hours of dying had I not had the surgery at the time that I did I we probably would not be having this conversation wow I I don't I try so hard now not to take anything for granted because I I had such a close call and I was so my poor husband is sitting out there and they had originally said the surgery will be 45 minutes we'll keep her overnight possibly two days you'll be able to leave and go back to the States. So he's sitting out there and 45 minutes go by, no word. Another 45 minutes go by. So we're now an hour and a half into a 45 minute procedure, no word. 
and he's getting nervous. And Mm -hmm. later I saw the texts that he was sharing with our two adult children, our daughter who is a businesswoman in Chicago and our son who at that time was finishing his clinical rotation as a physician assistant. So medically he understood exactly what was going on. And Mm -hmm. I saw the texts afterwards and um, they're getting nervous and frantic because no word. And then John said that the doctors came out and their entire demeanor was very different than when he had met them initially before I went into the operating room. He said Mm -hmm. it was all business and they were very serious. And he actually thought for a moment that I had died. And what did they they tell him? So serious. They told him very quickly, they told him that I was okay. The first thing they said was that I was fine and that I had come through the operation okay, but that there had been complications because my appendix had ruptured. And then they gave him very graphic details about Mm -hmm. uh, the infection and being septic and Mm -hmm. um, how close I came with everything and that I was going to have to stay in the hospital at least a week until I was stable enough by their judgment to be released to fly back to the United States. Wow. So from your perspective, you woke up in the morning and did you, I know you recall being embraced by a white light that you, that you came that close. And you know, what's interesting about that. Yes, I was embraced by the white light. What happened actually with the white light for me took place before I knew that I was going to be that close to dying. And I didn't understand what the connection was. When I was having convulsions and my husband and I were uh, sitting on the bed talking about whether or not to go to the clinic and what we needed to to organize to do that and Mm -hmm. all the logistics involved with that, I'm sitting there having the conversation with him. And then I all of a sudden felt like I was looking at the two of us having the conversation together. And I was still present in the conversation with him and he was talking to me and I was talking to him. And from his perspective, there was not a break in our communication with each other. Mm -hmm. But then there was a moment there where I literally left that space and Mm -hmm. I was in this amazingly peaceful, calm, beautiful white light it was Mm -hmm. like being embraced Mm -hmm. like you see a parent and a child in that just pure Mm. light of love and energy and Mm. I didn't hurt anymore for that brief moment and I didn't feel scared at all Mm. and I didn't question that I was there And I didn't feel pulled toward a particular direction, a light or a dark or anything Mm -hmm. like that. But I definitely heard a a voice, a communication to me that said, I wasn't going to die. You are not going to die. And it's not your time. Hmm. And and then the other message I got while I was part of that too was, uh, you are enough. Yeah, it, the, the you are enough is is so interesting because I think that's the root of everyone's problem in the world that they 
are trying to prove something. They don't think they're enough. They're angry because there's a, they don't love themselves. They're, they hurt others because they're hurting. And if we all just got that message and it's one thing to receive it, but then to, to truly believe it in your subconscious, it would be such a more peaceful place. But that's amazing that that's one of the messages you got. I love that. I loved it too. And I, really needed to hear that as mm-hmm. directly and profoundly as I did. And then all of a sudden I rejoined the conversation with John, mm-hmm. although from his perspective, we never weren't right. having a conversation. Right. And I didn't understand that you're not going to die part because I didn't at that point know until I woke up the next day and the doctor said, I was in a lot of pain and I thought, this is not your average appendicitis kind of thing. And the doctor said to me, well, (laughs) actually, (laughs) let me tell you. And he gave me and the nurse gave me the rundown on what had happened. And it was in that moment that it just, everything just Mm. lined up. And I thought, Mm. oh my gosh, I'm not going to die. I have to tell you that my cousin actually died of sepsis at 21 years old. She went into the hospital in New Jersey for a kidney infection. And she was there for several days and she should have been in ICU. She wasn't. And uh, her hands and feet were swelling. She was, she was kind of, she didn't look well, but you know, she wasn't in ICU. She's a young, healthy woman. No one thought anything of it. And then in the middle of the night, my aunt and uncle got the call and, and she passed from sepsis. So horrific and it could happen it could happen to young healthy people um and that what's so scary is that not that you know being in another country means that they have less you know less than medical care but dominica sounds like such a remote island that if they didn't have the care in new jersey at a at a high end hospital I would be so concerned that you had sepsis in this very remote island that would they have everything to treat you? Exactly. Well, I can tell you for sure that my husband and my son and my daughter were a lot more worried about that than I was. Mm -hmm. I was so sick that Mm -hmm. I didn't have a choice but to surrender to the care that I received. Mm -hmm. And I received excellent, excellent medical care. Good, good. you know, and parts of it did not look like it would have looked had I been cared for in the United States. Hmm. But I, it, it just looks different. And an open air award, um, mm-hmm. those, uh, uh, the ER door was uh, part glass, part steel, and part plywood. Those are not the typical things that you see in the United States. Mm-hmm. But th- they were amazing. They were thorough, and they were obsessed with making sure that my health and the health of the other ladies in the ward was taken care of. And Mm -hmm. I had an allergic reaction uh, to one of the antibiotics that I was on. Oh my God, I'm having everything else. Yes. And that happened a few days. That was building over a few days. And actually a first year nurse. So she was a certified RN, but this was her first year as a, as a practitioner is the one who caught it overnight. She was watching me overnight and she's the one that realized what was going on. So I had wow. excellent care and I was, yeah, it was, I, I, 
I was so fortunate, and I, I'm very careful, as you were in describing the medical treatment um, between uh, Dominica and the United States, um, to, to not disrespect that at all. Right, just, exactly, exactly. It just didn't look like what it would have looked like in the United States. Exactly. It was very noisy. And I'm I'm so sorry for for your loss and Thank the you. profound impact that that's had on you and on your family. You. I can I was so worried during my experience about how my family was feeling, mm-hmm. my two kids and my husband. And like I said, they were wreck. They were. I have a great family, and they mm-hmm. were rocks in the moment. Mm-hmm. But it's been really interesting. The first time that the kids saw me after I got back to the United States. And my mother and my sisters and my brother, I mean, my brothers, my extended family, everyone had to touch me. They they mm. wanted to hug me, which, of course, <laughs> we're a hugging family. We do that. But they just, they wanted to, they kept touching my arm or put their arm around me or touching mm. my hand. It was as if they just wanted to make sure I was still really here. And mm-hmm. even to this day, they greet me differently. They just, the hugs have always been hugs, but they're just a little bit tighter and they're a little more with a little more feeling, I guess Mm -hmm. is how I would say that. And Mm -hmm. it's just, I feel very lucky that, that I am alive to be able to experience that in a different way. Yes. So what was the week like after? It was, uh, suffice it to say that it's probably better that I'm the one that had this than my husband, because (laughs) the Lord, uh, (laughs) he is fantastic. And he was just a rock star and completely my hero through this whole thing. But he needs a lot more quiet environment when mm-hmm. he is sick and recovering. As I said, I'm from a big, noisy family, and I'm used to having to tune out a lot of background noise. Mm-hmm. I could barely move, but I knew, and the doctor had told me that one of the best things when you are recovering from surgery, as long as you are cleared and physically able, is to move. So he told me that I should try and get up out of bed and walk around as much as possible and within reason. Now, let's let's put this let's set the stage for this. So my entire abdomen is stitched together and I can still not stand up. So they had to cut through all of my abdominal muscles to get to what they needed to to remove the ruptured appendix as well as clean out all the infection and so I was laying down in the fetal position often because it was more comfortable and I felt like I could instinctively protect my abdomen better Mm -hmm. and so I had to this was like a gymnastics feat (laughs) or you know like I was some kind of a, a, you know, a circus performer to try and roll myself over in bed and push myself up and get out of bed without using my abdominal muscles, which is very hard, I have to say. That's very hard. Well, I, I, um, they gave me a pillow, an extra pillow, and I used, I, I would use that as reverse pressure. So I would use that to gently press against my abdomen as if it was supporting my abdomen, if you will, Mm -hmm. while I was trying to get out of bed. And then I would just have to sit up for a little while and get my bearings. And then I would stand up. I had an IV in me, so I had an IV pole. Mm -hmm. And think about how you use your abdomen a lot when you walk, right? It supports your body. So Mm -hmm. I am basically shuffling along 
and it would I could only walk for about five minutes at a time and it took me I maybe was going like 10 steps it was just very very painful mm-hmm. but I knew I had to do it and so every hour I tried to get up and, and walk around a little bit I usually I was holding on to the IV pole I had to hold on to a nurse the first couple of days I had to hold on to someone else as well mm-hmm. um, my husband when he was there or a nurse um, because I just was unsteady and then imagine that trying to use a bathroom and where you're, you know, trying to lower yourself and raise yourself from sitting on a toilet. And it was really hard. And, mm-hmm. but I, but I was just so focused on, I have to be part of my own recovery here and I have to stay, do what I can to make sure that my body's working right. Mm-hmm. But I was my, it was hard. And physically, I got in trouble for walking too much by the head nurse. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what and I, I respected what she was doing too much to, to argue with her and then uh, but I will also say probably the harder thing for me in the recovery physically it took a while to get my strength back and all of that but the mental and spiritual part were the mm. hardest for me mm. I couldn't um, so so this was dramatic and it was a trauma and I couldn't I was forgetting words so again, you introduced me as a PR person. So I use a lot of words. My business mm-hmm. is words. And I was really having trouble completing a sentence. It was as if my brain had the thought, my mouth said the words, but not all the words were coming out. And I would lose my way in conversations with people. Mm. And I would have a hard time staying focused because my body was so intent on healing that I think it was just not paying attention to the things that weren't essential in order mm. for my body to heal. Right. And and that was hard. That was mm. very hard for me. Um, Sounds frustrating. It was. I just kind of stopped talking um, <laughs> and for a while. I just, I couldn't. And I couldn't text. I, I, I finally, I did send a text to the kids because I knew that they needed to hear from me. But they, my family was a buffer to the rest of the family and to our friends and all of our colleagues back here in the States who wanted to help. And many offered to come down and mm-hmm. help us, which we declined. That would not have, that would have actually caused more stress, yeah. I think. And then I just, it was as if, it, it, what was hard about it was that I had to, I'm used to being in control of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I'm an A-plus personality type, mm-hmm. and I had to really surrender that because there was nothing that I could do. Mm-hmm. I was sick and I needed help. I couldn't help myself. And if I had not, I have to tell you, if I hadn't received that message of you're not going to die and you are enough, I think I would have thought surrendering a little bit more than I did. Oh, wow. You needed to hear that. I did. And and to just trust that. I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, didn't you question, ask me if I questioned when I got that message, if it was real or not, and Mm. or that if that experience was real or not. Mm. I have had many people ask me that. And I never did. Um, mm-hmm. I I never have ever questioned messages or moments that come to me. Now, I've never had one quite as blatant and clear as that one, mm-hmm. but I've never had message uh, questioned 
coincidences, what some would call coincidence, or mm. moments of deja vu, or moments mm. where I just have that complete feeling of I'm in the right place at the right time, and I just need to be present now. Yes. It's so funny that you mentioned deja vu, because my, my husband got it last night at dinner, and and it's we had this conversation about it. My brother's a doctor, actually, and he explained once that physically it it means the the thought went to the memory part of your brain so it instead of the processing part of your brain so it felt like a memory but spiritually it means you're exactly where you should be and that's funny that you mention deja vu because whenever I get it I'm like okay I'm on the I'm on the right path I'm learning what I'm supposed to learn Mm -hmm. so that so for for your listeners who have not experienced had an out of body experience like I did or who may not be sure that they are receiving messages um from somewhere else that feeling that you had with deja vu and you're saying I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be there mm-hmm. is a little bit for me of peacefulness that comes in that moment it's just kind mm-hmm. of like a nice deep breath that's as close as I can say that it feels to what I experienced, but you have to put that on steroids because it was so much bigger. But if I had to say to someone who has not had an out-of-body experience the way that I experienced it, the closest that it comes that uh, to an experience most people have had is that deja vu moment mm-hmm. where it, there's, it's just a, a peace that comes over you and a stillness yes. that just feels like a breath of fresh air. Yes, it's that's a great way to describe it because when you have deja vu, you can't deny what you just felt. You can't deny that it just felt like a memory. I don't know why. Like I've been here before. Mm-hmm. And so you can't deny what you what you, you describe on steroids, that feeling, that moment and what you heard. You there's no denying it. That's a great explanation. No. Oh yeah. good. I'm glad. I yeah. I've had I've had people ask me about this and I have friends who are going through uh, treatment for cancer mm-hmm. and other illnesses who who want really want to know what it feels like. Their future, the timing mm-hmm. of their future has been determined because of illness and mm-hmm. they really want to better understand what that what that next part of their life may be. And that's just something that I think helps to bring that along. After you got back to the States, it was a very long recovery, right? It was. It took a couple of months for me to feel physically able. I was restricted uh, medically from going back to work. And I, I came home and I really couldn't see anybody except my husband and the children and their spouses for about two weeks. And then after that, I let other people come in, but I was home for a couple of months recovering and Mm. regaining my strength. And also just my, I needed my brain to reconnect with my body and my spirit to reconnect with both. Mm -hmm. Because this was just such a dramatic and traumatic experience for me. And Mm -hmm. so I had to simplify, completely simplify. I couldn't, I really, I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't read. I couldn't really focus for a long time. And so I spent a lot of time outside. It was winter, but it happened to be a very mild winter at that Mm -hmm. time. And so I was able to get outside and I was able to just sit in in quiet. I slept a lot Mm -hmm. and just 
let myself be be part of the energy of the world without trying to control it too much. Not being able to read or watch TV, I'm like, what do you do to just sit, which is a which is so hard for Type A people like us, um, oh and to God. be alone with your thoughts and to just hear nothing but the leaves and the and the sounds around you. I try to do that as often as possible. I know it's a form of meditation, and I know it's very important, but to do it for so long must have been. Was it really hard at first? It was very, it was, uh, it was very hard at first. And I, I don't want to mislead you into thinking that I never watched television or watched a movie because mm-hmm. occasionally I, I had those moments where I could concentrate on a, a silly movie or mm-hmm. something that would just kind of take my mind off. And it was an opportunity for shared experience with others who wanted to participate in my healing, right? Mm-hmm. So we might watch a, something on pay-per-view or whatever. But I I really had a hard time concentrating. For the most part, it was just really just just being. And yeah. it was very hard. And hard. Uh, it was. Yeah. I was lucky because my husband and I spent a lot of time talking. And that oh, helped wow. too. Because oh. we had gone through so much together. And we just had to process this. Yeah, and, yeah. You describe him as, so you describe yourself as type A. You said it's good that it happened to you because you were in that environment. Was It It was like kind of noisy. He wouldn't have been such a great patient there. Is that what you were saying? No, he would not have been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he would not have been a, a good patient with that. He is a, he is a fantastic man. He's not mm. a great patient on his best mm. day in the United States. But in that <laughs> situation, <laughs> in that situation where there's just so much noise and chaos and all around you all the time and you know they're checking you every 20 seconds to make mm-hmm. sure your vital signs are good and all these things and he is one who just needs when he's sick he just needs to be by himself and, mm-hmm. and to recover and that just that would have been very difficult for him he would have I think he would have gotten through it but it just would have been very difficult for him and and yeah. I think it would have been harder perhaps than it was for me yeah. but it was hard enough for me yeah it sounds like there were so many angels along the way. The nurse who rode with you, the Cuban doctors, the nurse who realized that the antibiotics, that you were having that reaction to it. There were so many angels, it seems like. They were. And and, and John had some angels as well. Mm. Everywhere we were in Dominica, there were angels. Because we remember, we were staying on the other side of the island. And so he packed up his stuff, the host where we were staying, contacted a friend of his in a, a hotel. It was a scuba diving camp, if you will, mm. hotel facility, lodge. And they had a room. And so mm. he made arrangements for John to be closer to me at the hospital so Aww. he could go back and forth every day. He, We were able to keep our car longer. The airlines had absolutely no problem with any of the changes that we needed to make because Aww. our travel switched. We were just touched everywhere along the way. It was just amazing. And John and I both are so grateful that so many people offered gifts. I, one of, I have to tell you a quick story. One of the women who was next to me was from a very big family, six or eight kids. She was the youngest. And her brothers, she, was, she had to get a plate in her arm because it had broken and needed to heal differently. And her brothers were working in the city, and they came and visited her every day. And they noticed that John was not there all the time with me. Mm -hmm. 
because he was making arrangements for mm-hmm, us, yeah, bringing the stuff over from the other side of the island or whatever. And they, one of her brothers, they asked me if he could pray with me, which I thought was very kind Aww. of him. And then secondly, he said, would you like me to stay until your husband gets back so you don't have to be by yourself? Oh, how sweet. I know. It was wonderful. And I was so overwhelmed by that. And then I, I got up to use the restroom one day and I slid my feet into my, my sandals, but I didn't have them on fully. Mm-hmm. And I'm shuffling across the floor to the bathroom. And one of the other ladies in the ward stopped me and made me fix my shoes so that I wouldn't trip while I was walking to the restroom. I mean, little things like that. And those are absolute angel moments. No question whatsoever. Absolutely. You mentioned the the person who was in charge of your, where you were staying, RV. You mentioned him as, as you were so grateful for him. He was fantastic because he, helped us understand what we needed to do to get medical care on the island. He made it easy for us. We we literally, we were staying in a, a rented um, house on his property. And he literally let us just leave everything there. And until John could get back and clean it up an extra day, we rented a car through him. He let us keep that for a week helped us find oh, nice. a lot of things on the island that we needed in order to be there a week longer than we had intended. And he oh, nice. was, it was fantastic. And he was, he was kind and he was knowledgeable because he was a, a property, a proprietor, a hotel proprietor. Mm-hmm. And, and he knew what we needed to know in order to stay on the island longer. And, yeah. and even when John was staying in the hotel near where the hospital was, the second uh, hotel he stayed at, the owners of that hotel knew our story because Hervé had told them the story. Aww. And so when John checked in, they put him in a first floor room because they said, when I got out of the hospital, they knew I would probably need to stay for a couple of days before we could figure out how we were getting back to the U.S., and they didn't want me to have to go on the stairs. I mean, that kind of tenderness is amazing. That is so sweet. The other thing that struck me about your book was the days before, while you were enjoying this beautiful island, there were birds that kind of kept flying toward you and looking at you. And there was one who was missing a foot. And I feel like that's so prophetic. Like, you're going to be here. It's going to be hard. But look at me. I'm making it. And you're going to make it too. I agree. I so I so agree with what you're saying. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because that little banana keeps was a little banana keep bird. <laughs> and every day I saw him and it was, I, I appreciated it as a moment in nature, but mm. then I also really, after the fact, I think you're so right. It was prophetic. Mm. A friend of mine read my book and mm. she does ceramics and she actually made me a little banana keep bird because it, oh. she just thought that was such a moment in the book. And I was yeah. so grateful that she did that. I wonder if birds are signs for you now. Like when you see one that reminds you of that bird, do you, do you think of think of him or her 
I I absolutely do because the yeah. banana keep bird is pretty small. It looks kind of like a chickadee in the United mm. States if you've seen a chickadee. Um, and so you know you can look up your spirit animal through mm. uh, Native American lore and things like that. And mine is actually a woodpecker. And so I think maybe birds are some kind of connection to me. Yeah. I feel very peaceful with them, and I love it. Yeah. Whenever you're gonna, ha- we're gonna have to keep in touch. And when a bird comes to you you have to let us let me know and let my we I have a believers in signs group on Facebook so you have to let us know because that's a I think that's definitely a sign for you I think it is too and I'll I will definitely join the group and and let everyone know it's uh it's just so positive I uh, there to me they are a sign of positive energy Mm -hmm. in the world and I feel like I am still here on the planet to be a representative of positive energy to just put positive energy out into the world Mm -hmm. and help other people recognize that they have positive energy to put out in the world too. I love it. I love your, your message because as type A people, disruption is not typically welcomed at all. I I can see that firsthand, but you had to embrace it and you learned so much from embracing it. So if you could talk about what, all that you learned about the power of disruption, which is a great title. Thank you very much. I learned five, probably five things that have really stuck with me throughout this whole process. And one of them is to trust your tribe. Every one of us has a tribe of family, of loved ones, of people that we have yet to meet and a much wider circle that we we'll actually will never meet who are connected to ones that we know. Mm-hmm. And all of them show up unannounced right when we need them. Mm-hmm. And we just have to be willing to allow them to show up and allow them to offer their help, support, and positive energy mm-hmm. on our behalf. It is not was not easy for me to always receive that I was used to being a giver and when I didn't have a choice but to receive it I was overwhelmed in the best way possible by my tribe yes that's such a good lesson my husband always he always is telling me that I won't ask people for things like I'm happy to help I'm happy to give but I can never ask people for a favor it's so hard for me and he always reminds me to let people help it's such a good lesson you and I are cut from the same cloth (laughs) (laughs) from the same cloth. Uh, The second lesson for me, I mentioned actually a little earlier, I had to surrender to silence. I, I literally, the most powerful thing that I did to regain control over my situation was to be quiet. Mm -hmm. And the act of being quiet actually took the most control. So I'm not normally quiet, as I said before, and Mm -hmm. being able to Relax and quiet was very restorative for me. It mm-hmm. really, I felt like it gave me a chance to reconnect with myself because when there's just something about when you are your own company, you can't really run away. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, was, it was really important for me to recognize in silence that I had to be present with myself and not fake that, not put that as a checklist item. Okay, now's my time to do this. Now's my Mm -hmm. time to do this. I just needed to be part of the world. The third one is live in the now. So I'm a person who has always been able to cite everything on her Outlook calendar 
weeks mm-hmm. at a time. Mm-hmm. And w- while those tendencies are still present because I like to be organized, what I have recognized is that I was so busy being in every scheduled moment that I didn't actually appreciate to the degree that I should have mm-hmm. all of the moments that were taking place. And I just think that's really powerful and, and probably one of the most important things yeah. because life life does not revolve around great moments, right? Mm. Life revolves around the moments that catch us unaware. Those are actually mm. the great moments. Wow. Yeah. It's so true. We're so alike and I have everything planned out. And then I have to remember to take a moment <laughs> to appreciate and be grateful for those funny, unexpected moments of joy I completely agree and and joy I think is is a key word there um Mm. I have often been in conversation with people where I was in conversation with them but actually thinking to whatever was coming up next Mm -hmm. and I really try hard not to do that anymore because I want to make sure that we're connecting yes that's great the other two are let the universe have your back. So we talked a little bit while, a little while ago. I just had to trust. I did not have a choice. I would have died. I needed mm-hmm. medical care. We had no idea what was going to happen next. And we just had to trust that the universe had our back and mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. were going to be taken care of in the right way and that we would be able to move forward no matter what happened. And mm-hmm. That that's important, you know, the, mm-hmm. the let the universe have your back. It's not just that the universe has your back, which is critical, right? We have to recognize that mm-hmm. first, but to actually let the universe do that, we had to let people help us. We had to let the storm that was taking place be part of our life because it cleared out a lot of junk yeah. that really wasn't necessary for us and, and we could move on to the next best thing. Yeah. Then the the last one, going back to what you said about joy, celebrating those Mm. moments of joy, um, I think that we all have to be brave enough to actually go for our joy. Mm. Easier said than done, right? I think it is. I think it goes back to the idea that we talked about earlier about self-worth and Mm -hmm. believing that we are enough. It's difficult to be joyful if we don't believe that we're where we're supposed to be or that we're mm-hmm. doing something that we're supposed to be doing. And I have, as most people do, I feel joy on behalf of other people all the time. And I love to celebrate what brings them joy. But sometimes I would put that second for myself. At mm. the ex- I would put my own joy at the expense of others. And what I've come to appreciate is that Going for for my joy, recognizing it and celebrating it is not an act of arrogance. It's not a negative self-indulgent type moment. It's self-indulgence of the highest order because when I am joyful or joy-filled, I can put that out into the world in a way that has no end. Yes, you're putting out good energy that other people catch and you're doing you're not being selfish you're actually being quite quite magnanimous is that the word by being joyful you're putting out such good energy for everyone else I want I think so too and I want to be really clear here because there isn't a switch that gets turned on and and life is 
you know, sunshine and rainbows. Right. Life is life is hard. We have mm-hmm. stuff to do while we're here. We we will run into problems and we will have to overcome great obstacles that we won't understand, we won't like, that will be painful, that will be uncomfortable. That's okay. It's that isn't going to change. Those disruptions, the catastrophes of life will never go away. But when we recognize that we already have within us what we need to navigate through them, to get over those hurdles, to move from here to there, we've already won and we've already taken a giant step forward in figuring out what's going to happen next. Perfect. Well, I'm so glad that you're healthy and you're here and that you're spreading this message. Your work wasn't done and and I I think it's it's divine that you were selected to deliver this message that this had to happen the way it happened so that you could learn this lesson and and help others. Thank you for saying that. I I I so I'm so appreciative of the opportunity to have conversations like this one and to to share to share my message of you you can there is power in disruption and you can get through that and I so appreciate your support in doing that. Thank you for it. Of course, thank you. And you're so generous. You're going to give away five copies of your book, physical copies or the Kindle version? Either one. Okay. Very generous. People just have to go to your Facebook page and comment on the relevant post, the giveaway post. So if you could tell everyone where to find you on all social media. At Susan Cross Writer. Perfect. And that's on Facebook. And are you on Instagram? Yes, I am. Same thing. At Susan Cross Writer. W-R-I-T-E-R. Perfect. And your website is susan-cross.com, right? Yes, it is. Perfect. So I will put all of this in the show notes and I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I've really enjoyed getting to know you too. Thank you so much for listening to Signs from the Other Side. You can find me, Fern Rone, on all social media at Fern Rone, R-O-N-A-Y. I love hearing from you and I love hearing your stories of signs. And if you would like to hear more episodes of this show, please be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Thank you again and sweet dreams.